Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today's topic is going to be followers and cohorts, talking about the non-player characters that may be accompanying your party around and how you can use them to add a little flavor to your game and mix it in with them. Today in the studio, my name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM, and Ed. And this is a shout out to the dozens and and dozens and dozens of Ed's fans here joining us on Game Master Studio. Followers and cohorts. So we're talking today about all those non-PC characters that are going to be tromping around with the party. Uh, Examples, ways you can use them to bring a little life in, add a little personality, make the game maybe a little bit more fun, maybe a little bit more balanced if you're worried about having a little underpower to your party, give them a little extra punch, or maybe they just need a little extra help for one or two sessions or specific skills. So we're actually, the list I have started, it starts with followers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had kind of a pre-show discussion as we do to kind of define these. We're going to define a follower as a primarily non-combat, low-powered. This is more of a commoner, a squire, a spear holder, somebody who's not necessarily going to be uh, making a big turn of the tide of battle. They're not going to be a huge action star, but they can still be influential and assisting the party yeah i would i would almost i would almost want to retract say non-combat certainly not not good at it um they might be like they could be soldiers or guards like sort of guarding your your group that sort of thing that you could bring them along but they're low level and you wouldn't want to put them in danger so certainly you wouldn't want them fighting ogres or anything like that so they're they're not necessarily adventure level combatant but, but maybe they're like in town security. Yeah, they could be like security, whether you hire them or not. They could, you know, help sort of defend your position or just sort of give you numbers to, to keep other things uh, from attacking you. Sorry, can I see your backstage pass before you're allowed to approach the cleric? Right. Or they could just be people who support you. They could be uh, like, again, in fantasy games, like servants, um, who just people who just want to sort of support you, but they don't have combat skills, you know, but they want to maybe help out. So they'll, you know, be servants for the for the guild or um, you know, maybe business owners who who like you, who you know, might give you de- you know discounts on stuff. I know, um, I know. sponsored by your local goods store, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition campaign source book uh, spoke a little bit about about followers, and they actually had the reference of uh, the younger folks, like apprentice level, interested yeah. in becoming adventurers, exactly, and maybe like coming along. You know, essentially, your your D and D intern. Exactly. People who they're not particularly skilled at anything, but your character or your group or whatever has attracted these people. Basically, you're celebrities to them or you've done really good deeds or something. Maybe they uh, maybe one of your characters is uh, a religious character and they're doing things in the name of the, you know, the God of light or whatever. And you, you get some religious followers who, you know, want to sort of, you know, come in and just sort of express that, uh, that ideology along with them, you know, sort of help them spread the good word, you know, 
the local monk walks in and beats the crap out of the the big nasty bully in the in the tavern, and all the kids are like, "Master, master, let us train with you." Right, exactly. <laughs> they all want to start training with you. You know, they're you know, show us your kung fu. So definitely followers, not particularly skilled in anything. They'll probably have some skills that they're good at. You know, they could be smiths or they could be good hunters or something along those lines, but not particularly good at any one thing. Another one that I often have come up in my game. They're the uh, caravan masters. Yep. They're going to be taking care of the wagons, the transportation, or, or maybe they're, they're the, the sailors that are moving the PCs from one area to another. But if things start to go bad, it's generally the PCs that are going to have to bail everything out. Exactly. You don't, you don't want to have them specifically trying to stop the thing that's going bad. If you're building an army and you happen to have lots of soldiers, you, you're hiring people to be soldiers, that's different. But that's your army fighting a different army or something along those lines. Uh, and followers can fit into that, but you wouldn't want them taking on the bigger threats, so they're just going to get them squashed. That's followers, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're mov- chumps. <laughs> so moving, moving on from followers, uh, we actually have kind of the next step up, which is familiars and co or familiars and companions, uh, specifically the animal companions. These are looking at they're they're essentially at least in D anD D fifth edition they're class features. You know the ranger beastmaster wolf who follows him around, the little imp that works for the warlock, or perhaps you know an intelligent raven for the wizard. Your your familiars, your animal companions, non human uh, add ons, tag alongs to the party. There's a couple of different options for these in a couple of different classes. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these are Paladin's almost mount. Yep. Paladin's mount um, would almost be more competent followers in a way. Um, some of them like, you know, in, uh, a wolf or a bear companion may be designed to be more combat oriented, but you also are going to have, you know, the intelligent Raven that's more, Probably going to be utilized more as a scout, um, you know, aerial surveillance type. The same with the imp. The imp's not really going to be in a lot of combat. He's going to be going invisible or turning into a raven to then scout. (laughs) You know, so, uh, yeah, I kind of uh, see them as one step above a follower. Typically, you know, just kind of there in the background, like not even really thought of or mentioned a lot of times. Another thing that can fall into this, at least in D&D, is like... uh, the the wondrous figurine animals and stuff like that Figu- figurine yeah. and wondrous power yeah uh, again you know just temporary magical beasts or tagalongs that you know are there when you need them yeah, for anybody that's not familiar it's it's a small magical statue of some sort of animal and it can be commanded to become a real animal using the magic command word for a set period of time after which it reverts back to being a statue for a given period of time. Um, so you can summon it out for a little extra backup when you need it and then stick it in your pocket when you don't. Yeah. And I would say the only big difference between that magical item, um, you know, the figuring wondrous power and like your actual and standard animal companions would be some of the figurines of wondrous power are specifically combat based and you don't mind using them in more dangerous situations because they don't die per se. They just go away. 
and you can resummon them. Whereas if you have an actual animal companion, you're going to want to keep, you know, like if you're a ranger with a wolf, you're not going to want to throw it at the, you know, the, the giant black dragon that just showed up. Well, it depends on if you hate wolves. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, your, your wolf, companion your wolf, wolf is a, you know, a living thing that's not magically summoned. That's right. not going to magically be, you know, re resummoned, you know, right. so it's like your pet. Yeah, exactly. It's your, it's your pet. So you're going to want to avoid even some of your animal companions that are more combat oriented at lower levels. They might be okay, but at higher levels or, you know, mid range, you know, uh, threats, you're going to want to keep them in the back line and safe. Yeah. That's sort of the unfortunate part there is they do sort of lose their, their kick the higher levels you go. But, uh, yeah, they're definitely a step right above, uh, uh, followers. They're probably more specialized and you can utilize them a little better, but still you wouldn't want to, you know, uh, especially after like four or five levels, you don't really want to throw them against anything, you know, maybe have them scout, maybe have them track, uh, maybe a little bit of combat's fine, but you know, not too much. Yeah. They're going to be more useful throughout your career than any follower ever will, but they're going to have, you know, specific uses and specific right. moments where they'll shine. Most of the time they'll be in the background. Um, the next, the next step that we kind of wanted to define and set up just so that we're established what we're talking about, uh, is going to be the hireling. Mm -hmm. Um, the hireling is again, one step up. These are generally, uh, mercenaries or specialists that the party is using in game currency. They're paying for their services. And of course, these are people who are skilled enough at what they do to be able to say that, well, I'll work for you if you pay me the set prices. Mm -hmm. um, this is, they're good for, as I mentioned, mercenaries, uh, giving players a little extra muscle in a pinch in exchange for, mm -hmm. for gold. Um, you can also have specific uh, specialties. You could have, for example, they may hire a um, document forger from the local fees guild because they need to get some papers to get across the border. Um, specific skilled options that you pay them the money, they will do the job for you. Yeah, you don't have a healer in your group. You need a healer to come along. You need a wizard to come along for that sending spell so you can keep in touch with somebody back home for whatever reason. You know, there's some different specialty options in there. Typically, you know, you, you think mercenary, you think, you know, your atypical fighter, yeah. you know, throw out, you know, out there with a sword swinging along, but it doesn't have to always be the case. No, that's true. I would argue, though, that hirelings could be of any level of usefulness that uh, um, the GM will allow and the PCs can afford. You could have hirelings that are just laborers. Uh, maybe you uh, went through the dungeon, you cleared it out, but you know all the treasure you want to bring back, well, you know that's going to take you four or five, six trips on your own, or you could rent out another couple of wagons and hire some hirelings to help, help lug everything out. Uh, you know, so there's that. There's also the... Uh, uh, the the higher level hirelings that might have a specific function, maybe they're a cleric or a rogue or a, uh, a fighter who's bolstering your party and maybe they're roughly your level or maybe they're even higher depending on what you can afford and what the GM will allow. Um, but you're you're getting them specifically to do a function and you're giving them some sort of compensation. They're not there just because they want to be with you. Followers want to be with you. We're about to get to cohorts, I think. They also want to be with you and, uh, and you're your pets and uh, animal or animal companions and familiars are really summons. 
you know, they're things that you summon. And I, and I think at the hireling level, I think you still want to be at the point where you don't want to, you definitely don't want to have anybody that you've hired on that does a better job at, at their job than a PC doing that specific job. You don't want to hire on a fighter who's a better fighter than your party's big guy. I agree. You, you don't want to, I'm not going to have, we have a fifth level wizard in the party, but I'm paying for a ninth level wizard as a hireling because then that makes the the player playing the fifth level wizard feels left out. They feel overshadowed. And we've brought this up before. Jared loves to, to, to mention this. The players are the stars of the show. Yeah. And you don't want to overshadow them if it's their specialty. Yeah, if if you got a couple of fighters, a rogue and a wizard in your group, and they want to hire out a cleric, that makes perfect sense. They want someone who can heal them. But if they say, you know what, I want another rogue because our rogue isn't focused on this sort of thing. Well, maybe not, because then they're going to seem they're going to be able to out rogue the rogue. You know, so that's something to consider. Is you may not want to, as a GM, you may not want to allow or 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 really bring in hirelings that are going to overshadow someone that's already in the group that does the same thing. Your rogue should be the rogiest. <laughs> I totally see the situation where you're playing an evil party and hire the strongest fighter you can get. And you're like, uh, no, you go handle the black dragon by yourself. <laughs> we don't really want to pay you. We're hoping you'll die in the fight. <laughs> I actually immediately thought of a scenario and anyone listening, go ahead and uh, steal this idea if you want, where they do actually find like a really like powerful dude. And they're, they put, as much of their money as they can to hire this guy out. And he's just, you know, maybe badass like 12th level adventurer. And they're like level three or four, but they hired him because there's a few ogres in the caves. And they don't think they can take care of him. He goes in and clears everything out and, and then turns takes, on him. Yeah, I was going to say, then takes all the money and leaves. Yeah. It just takes everything. He's like, all right, cool. Thanks for letting me know where this cave is. Hey, we hired you. What are you going to do about it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had that scenario run through my head too. Um, and then maybe he shows up later uh, when they're able to sort of get vengeance. He become he becomes the villain of the arc. <laughs> he just he just keeps he just keeps showing up occasionally, always like six or seven levels higher than the PCs, and just like push them down, steal their lunch money, and walk away. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. That's awesome. Good times. Um. So the next moving up the scale is the cohort. Uh, the cohort is really kind of the first one where we're starting to look at characters really on an equal footing, equal level with the PCs. These are people who are, um, you know, followers on steroids. They're there because they want to be with the party because they want to follow around, but they're also up to the level where they're making meaningful contributions on an individual level to the party's success. Yeah. And the difference between them and hirelings is they don't necessarily need, a cut, uh, you know, probably want to give them a cut if they're pulling their weight, but they're, they're there. The same reason followers are there is because they want to be around your character, right? Yeah. They want to be there. You didn't hire them. Exactly. They want to help out, but of course you want to keep them loyal. So you want to make sure to do things to keep them loyal. And then when they're with you in your group, they're going to be contributing. Uh, the good news is, yeah, exactly. They're going to be contributing. So the good news is, you know, they're going to, be able to contribute their hit points and their attacks or their spells or whatever. But keep in mind and make sure the players understand this. They're also going to be taken away from experience and some of your treasure because you, they would deserve a cut. Yeah, they're part of the team. Exactly. Um, you know, the cohorts is kind of that risky business because they're, they're right in there. They're almost an equal. They're a sub equal member. Um, 
Yeah, well, like I said in the in the pre-show, I think a good way to so, to think of them in, in like power equivalents is kind of like the sidekick, you know, Robin right. to Batman, you know, someone that's there. So like Robin makes meaningful contributions. Sometimes he saves Batman's life, but overall Batman's way better of a badass than, than Robin ever will be, you know what I mean? But but he's he can contribute, he can hold his own in any fight that Batman's in, you know, 90% of the time. Where followers, you're looking at more like Alfred. Right, yeah, follow, yeah, exactly. Alfred's exactly. going to be like, here's your tea, sir. <laughs> And yeah, Alfred will save him on rare occasions, but for the most part, he doesn't go out and do the. the yeah, superhero. he's not there in the in the front line with Robin and Batman. Now, a lot of times, cohorts are specific to a certain PC, mm-hmm. especially in uh, like three point five and Pathfinder. If you take any of the leadership feats, then you get your yes, cohort. Okay, then you get your cohort. You get. Uh, to determine, you know, sort of, sort of what they are. They're following your character, but you could also do a scenario where the group gets a couple of cohorts, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, and I, I believe in the 3.5 Pathfinder, the leadership rules actually has cohorts are required to be no more than two levels below well there's the a in 3.5 there's a chart you have to follow it's based off your charisma and your level and blah 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 but no matter what if you max it out they can be no powerful than two levels below your current yeah, yeah, you, PC yeah even if you're like level nine and, and you technically have a leadership score of like 30 then yeah. s- you can have the followers for that but you can't have the cohort for that they still have to be like level seven at max yeah because yeah, we had we had uh we had a game that went to, into epic levels so we had like a level, I think it was level 24 paladin with a level 20 cleric uh, cohort. Yeah, yeah I, hit, I hit 23. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere up there. I don't oh, know. you might have hit higher level than me because I went through another, I went through an extra character in that game. Um, not on the hero side, but <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, no, it's a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, the cohorts, they're there. They're making meaningful contributions. They're kind of most of a person. Um, the final one. <laughs> and then we have one more step in the spectrum that we're going to hold off on for a little bit. Um, so that we, because these first four, the, the followers, the familiars and companions, the cohorts and the hirelings are all for running them, for introducing them, bringing them in, they all kind of have the same considerations. Um, So we wanted to talk about that for a little bit about how to run those, how to build those, how to put those together. Do you as the GM run them? Does the players run them? Do you share the load? Um, How do you build them? Who gets to build them? Who puts the stats together and figure out, so there's a couple of different ways, a couple of different ways of looking at that that we wanted to talk about as well. Uh, I think, I guess the first one we could touch on is players run everything. Uh, this is an option if you want to allow them to have cohorts and followers and what, that sort of thing. Um, now, I, w- I, w- I would say for familiars and animal companions, they should run most of it, no, regardless. But uh, if a player is running the the hirelings and the cohorts and whatnot, and they're... Um, the only one who's really responsible for it. Then as a GM, you're saying, I'm giving you this gift. This is your thing. You go ahead and make it, you run it, that sort of thing. And that's a really good way for the GM to sort of delegate uh, the responsibility of that character. Uh, They don't have to worry about uh, any paperwork with that character. You know, just have to remember that they're there and they're going to help out in a certain way. 
but they don't have to focus a lot on them. You are expecting the player or maybe even players to role play that character when the time is necessary uh, to keep all the stats for that character. If they are going to be, you know, involved in anything that would require dice rolling uh, and, and to sort of keep the logistics of that character, make sure that you're spending enough money to keep that character alive, assuming you have to. So if it's a follower, all right, make sure to, you know, kind of price out how much rations would be for the trip that you're taking. So you keep all your followers alive. I, I kind of think of it as like the PCs, the players are taking care of the PCs and that's kind of their major character. And they have a minor character that they have to just keep in mind. Right. Um, you do want to be careful as a DM because that could lead to, okay, these, these minor characters these these cohorts or well, hirelings followers are now extensions of my PCs will. Right. Uh, because I'm doing stuff, they're doing whatever I want them to do, and now we're all going to be working seamlessly, flawlessly together. Yeah, you have a telepathic bond all of a sudden. Right. right. <laughs> I, I, and I think in some ways that's okay. The cohorts and followers are supposed to sort of fall under that. And even your even your pets and uh, uh, familiars are also supposed to, in, in some ways, fall under that to, their, to the best of their ability. Good examples would be like uh, for anyone who may have watched Deadwood, uh, one of the most popular characters is Al Swearingen and his, he has lackeys specifically Dan Doherty, who's sort of his cohort. They're in that together. And then he has other lackeys who help him around, around the town. So for one instance, yes, him and Dan are almost always on the same page and, and know what the other one sort of wants to do, except for a few occasions. But then he's got the lessers, the followers, uh, Johnny and uh, the, uh, the mayor hotel owner who his name escapes me at this moment, who's, you know, more of sort of a lackey or follower. They, they do things together. They plan together, but they're not always on the same page. So that's sort of to elaborate a little bit on your point. Now, hopefully well, it helped out there. Speci- specifically what, I, what I'm worried about, you know, with the, the instant telepathic bond, as Jared mentioned, right. is suddenly seeing, okay, now we've got four guys in the initiative together who all are now going to do an attack and disengage and clear out so the wizard can drop a fireball in the middle of it without touching any of them. And without like, anything actually being said or communicated. Right, without anything being communicated. So in an actual battle situation, you know, the wizard would have to be clear out, I'm going to blast them, and now some of the enemies would know that that's incoming as well, possibly be able to prepare for it. Sure. Um, you want to be careful about letting some of that get through. Definitely. Um, but I would say don't get so harsh on it to the point where it disrupts game flow yeah. um, or really Especially upsets your players. Especially if they're trained to, you know, sort of uh, fight. Or, you know, if these are all sort of guards for the wizard and they're trained to go up and hit something and disengage so that the wizard can blast things, then, yeah. you know, if that's made uh, apparent early on, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. But and if they're if, just doing that telepathically, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and and if it's like, if this is first day... You know, they should they shouldn't be like right away. Like we've got all the tactics down. You know, if you've been adventuring and hanging out with these people and working with them for months, then, yes, you should know how to fight as a team. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, if it's one of those, OK, I might just be a cohort or a follower or a hiring, but I've been with these guys for 
six sessions now, you know, through 18 fights or whatever has been going on. And I see the wizard slowly strut up towards the battlefield and start rolling up his sleeves, <laughs> crack his knuckles back and raise his hands like, fuck, run. <laughs> the fire boner. Yeah. Oh, his no. eyes glaze over with, you know, like with death. Like, oh, here we go. Uh oh, <laughs> look out, guys. His theme music just started playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and then on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have uh, you have the GM runs everything. Uh, Jared, what do you think about that? Um, I think there's a lot of advantages to the DM running everything, but I prefer to, as you said, delegate. Sure. My preference is to have the players run as much as they can to keep it off my plate. Yeah, the DM in general has enough to deal with. Yeah, exactly. I have enough to deal with, and the more that I'm running, the less that they're running, especially during combat. So, again, my concept, uh, which I'm pretty sure I've touched on before, is... If there's 50 things in combat and I'm running 40 of them, we're spending more time on me and less time on the players. And I would want to I want to spend as much time on the players as I can because, you know, I'm there to entertain them. But they don't want to watch me run 40 things. You know what I mean? If, if I don't have to be. But there are pros to it, though. But again, yes, there are pros. You know, again, you don't have to worry about any metagaming on the own. You know, shenanigans. You don't have to worry about the telepathic bond, so to speak, as we were just discussing. Um, Again, if I'm running it, then I most certainly rolled it up. You know, so I know that it's like legit. Um, Also, it provides a lot of role playing opportunities for you to play within the party that you might not normally have with just NPCs or monsters. There's because you get to be a part of the player dynamic in the role playing scenario. So like you get to actually be a part of role playing like at the campfires because normally you're only role playing within the player dynamic or with the players, not within the player dynamic. Right. I think this also gives a good opportunity um, to have independent personalities, which can bring in the wonderful plot twist of traitor in our midst. Mm -hmm. You can have somebody who has who's there as a hireling or a cohort who has a secret that they're keeping from the PCs. And how does that change things? How does that come out? How does what will they do to keep it secret? Yeah. And that's a nice extension off of, you know, the, the, again, the role playing. Cause I just think that, Typically, your atypical companion, you know, hireling, follower, whatever, you know, these NPC-esque characters, when they're run by the PC, the one thing that I usually see that goes by the wayside is role-playing. They don't usually, because you know, most people don't want to talk to themselves, so to speak. So if Jerry's running, you know, his paladin and his cleric, you know, a a cohort, he's not typically going to have a lot of conversations with himself between the paladin and the cleric you know you know for the sake of the party to witness so to speak or you know or for him talking as multiple people within the party you know typically that 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 cohort's going to kind of sit by the wayside and we're just going to assume his thoughts his feelings and his interpretations of things i think to sort of illustrate that we could think of games like maybe the mass effect games or uh, uh dragon age games any any anything in that sort of thing where you have your player character which is your main character um and then, right, in Shepard. And then you have all of the other characters who come along with you that you can pick for groups. They are essentially your cohorts and followers in those games. And then as you go along and do things, there are certain points in those games where maybe one of them disapproves with your actions. And there's maybe a cutscene or uh, just some audio, and it's telling you, I don't think that's a good idea or whatnot. That's sort of that idea where you have a cohort, but they maybe don't, they don't like what you're about to do. They don't want to follow that. You know, they're going to, but they really don't like doing it. 
you know? Um, so that sort of, I think, elaborates that point a little bit where you there, there's a role-playing moment there, and just because he's your cohort, does that mean that he's okay with you killing this unarmed guy? Right. You know? And if as a GM, if you're running him, you can have him say, whoa, man, whoa, what are we doing? You know, and sort of point out some of the flaws to that. Yeah, I think uh, another bloodthirsty be like, yeah, do it. <laughs> I think another um, advantage I would say is again, if you're running these cohorts um, as NPCs, you don't care about them having the spotlight at all. Right. Whereas, like you know, typically, obviously, like you know, you're gonna want your player to have the spotlight. He's gonna want his player to have the spotlight. But if I'm running the cohort, then I might not sh- care so much about sharing the spotlight with a cohort that I'm running, because then I, as the player, still have the spotlight. Right. Whereas if the the DM's running the cohort, then you can actually go out of your way to pull punches here and there, or to go, or to even like spend your turns just assisting the players. Right. More like a cohort really should be played. Right. You know, if there's an opportunity where like on the cohort's turn he could get the killing blow on the dragon, the player is probably going to do that just to put for one reason or another just to put the dragon down. Right, but definitely. the DM might be like, okay, I might have this opportunity to last, you know, hit this dragon and put the dragon down. But that's not what the cohort would really do. He would say, you can do it so-and-so and throw an aid spell on, you know, the, the next player over or the next yeah. PC over and let them have the killing blow. Yeah. Or runs up and grabs one of the horns trying to hold the head in place. Right. Like, yeah, quick. Get him. Quick. Get him. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, qu- while I got him. So-and-so, the epic barbarian hero. <laughs> <laughs> So again, I think that's another one of those big advantages is you can purposely kind of like you know fudge, not not even necessarily like they're that you're fudging roles, yeah, but just you know avoid the spotlight, sidestep it a little bit. Well, a, a lot of the it's, it's the aid other or help or whatever it is action that doesn't get used a lot. That's a really good example. You could have your cohort go up. The thing's about to die, but it comes up and it's like, well, I'm gonna aid. Which, you know, in a mathematical sense, in a player sense, you might think, why didn't you just attack it? You could probably kill it. But as a cohort, he just goes up and aids it so that the next person gets the killing yeah. blow. R- Robin doesn't stop ba- um, stop Bane. Batman stops Bane. That's right. <laughs> you know, we don't have a moment where Robin's like, screw you, Batman. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's Bane, and, dude. And I, actually, if I remember some of the comics and cartoons correctly, when they do that, they usually get swatted away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is actually another example that you can use as long as you don't overuse it is big bad villain comes in cohort steps in the way and gets knocked aside right yeah oh this guy's this guy's fought with us he's part of the the party we know what he can do and this guy just knocked him down like he was nothing yeah you can wharf him yeah the the wharf effect lieutenant wharf effect per tv tropes yeah uh, tv tropes.com be careful if you go make sure you have like the whole day free before you start digging into it oh i love that i love that play i spend all day there yeah (laughs) but that's another great example because as a player if i'm running that cohort i might not purposely put myself in harm's way you know but the dm would be like this is the perfect opportunity to show the, the the love that this companion has for the players you know the player character and to show off how you know dangerous this new villain is right now, I figured now, now that we've talked about both of those sides, I figured probably, probably the three of us would be somewhere in the middle. Uh, so let's talk about maybe the benefits of that. I mean, uh, the, I, the certainly shared, like, yeah. I certainly like mixing responsibilities like, okay, player, here's the character. Here's what they can do. I give you limitations on them, but you can run them. But every once in a while, I might pull him out of there and say, okay, he does this now. Yeah. Or he's like, oh, I've, 
I've got to go. I have an engagement. I will meet you guys, you know, on on the third day, the rising of the sun, look to the east and I'll meet <laughs> up with you again. I think I've heard that somewhere, Jerry, but maybe not. That's a great idea. <laughs> um, I would definitely say that that I would feel that if you're doing a mix, combat is definitely a time to put it in the player's hand. Because yeah, yeah. during a combat, the DM probably has enough going on that they have to worry about not only with running their own characters, but make sure the combat is moving slowly or moving, moving smoothly, <laughs> smoothly. Uh, I got smooth and flow <laughs> right. combats flowing. Um, yeah. So maybe the GM runs them for role playing, but the players take them over for combat. That's how right. I would because do when it, it yeah. because unfortunately I, we've talked about this a little bit combat tends to come down to a lot of let's talk numbers yeah that's true there there is role-playing opportunity in combat i know we've talked about that we've had a couple episodes talk about spicing up combat using role-playing but like it or not combat comes down to a lot of numbers and your numbers they're not something that you need to 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 be doing a deep session on, you just need to do the math. So roll the dice, give me the numbers. What are they doing? You know, communicate your tactics. Don't be telepathic. And the players can run that. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I would typically run. You know, a lot of that stuff is, I would say like combat, you run him. He's your cohort. He's your hireling. He's your whatever. You know, if it is specific to, you know, especially if it's a, a cohort or a you know, familiar or something like that, where it is very specific to a, you know, a, a character or, you know, PC, like this guy's yours, you run him for combat. But outside of combat, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want with him because there's all the role playing opportunities that I want to have that are right there at my fingertips as long as I have control of them. I, I agree with that. I think there there may be a, an exception to that. And the, I'd say the only real exception is if the player has a very specific way they want this character to be role-played, then you might allow the character to do that most of the time. Yeah, if they have you a know. specific way that they're going to want them role-played, then they're yeah. going to convey that to me, like and if, they're going to you know, basically exactly. plead their case, and I'm going to be like, all right, then do it. <laughs> yeah, if you, have a, if you have a player who's looking forward to getting this cohort, and they have a really cool idea what they want to do and how they want to play them uh, and that sort of thing, then you know, let them do the role-playing for it because you know, they're really enthused about that. But uh, certainly take some, let them know, I'm going to take the reins sometimes and... And that's going to be just part of how we share the responsibility with this cohort. And you just have to trust that it's all going to work out yeah. with us sharing it. Always, always talk to your players, trust your players, have your players trust you. Have fun that way. Have trust falls. <laughs> We're not doing trust falls again. <laughs> no more trust falls. Uh, you Jerry- dropped me last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you fell forward, not backwards. So that's oh, on damn you. it. Uh, Nigeria, you said there was one more. There's one more on the spectrum that we specifically waited because it, it falls into a slightly different category, and that is the DMPC. Right now, controversial, very controversial. There's people online that say that uh, DMPC is the worst thing you can do, a great way to kill a campaign, a great way to kill a gaming group. Um, the DMPC is a fully powered player character on the same level as the players played 100% by the DM. 
And this is not, I'm going to have a villain who follows the same, or I'm not going to have an antagonist, not even a villain, an antagonist who follows the same rules as the PCs. It's, I'm going to have a protagonist. I'm going to have a member of the party. Yeah, they're going to be with the group. They're going to be part of them, and I am going to play and run them as the DM in addition to running everything else. Yeah, that can be hard because there are there are going to be times when that PC takes the spotlight and it's it's a it's something run by the gm and it's taking the spotlight and as we've talked about just now spotlight should be on the players so that's where i can be sort of rough to do that you know and you, you're walking a fine line because you may need that pc to fulfill a specific role yeah but again you don't want to take away from the players yeah um i have had uh sort of hirelings uh, in one group, the group didn't have a uh, a rogue, so they uh, they hired. I gave them a couple options. They hired a rogue that they liked, and I I role played the character, but I had him defer to the players because uh, they're the players. So he's like, "Okay, you guys are hiring me. We set a price. Now I'm going to help you. If you want me to do something other than in combat, I'll, I'll I'll do what I do in combat. But if you want me to do something, tell me what you want me to do. If you need decisions made, you're the ones making them because you you've hired me out. I think that's probably a good way to sort of delegate that." Yeah, I think with the DMPC, I'm kind of like, I understand that there's exceptions and that some people have probably done this very well. I'm typically on the side of like, it's evil. Don't ever do it. (laughs) That's where I stand by default. But that's not to say that there aren't arguments to be made for other sides. So kind of trying to play the devil's advocate here. Um, If you do have, you know, a DM, you know, a PC in your group. Then I think that, again, like you had mentioned with the spotlight, the number one rule is going to be avoid the spotlight whenever possible. Obviously, again, if, if you're playing a PC in the group because there is a certain gap that's there and you're trying to fill that void, like there's no rogue and we need a rogue or there's no cleric and we need a cleric and I'm going to play a PC in that role. Obviously, there's going to be moments where you can't avoid the spotlight. You know, oh, my God, the whole party's dying. Heal. Um, but as a rule of thumb, whenever possible, avoid the spotlight, make sure that the rest of the group gets the spotlight whenever possible. I'm yeah. thinking about this now too. Um, as a DM, you can also plan on those gaps. Okay. So the party doesn't have a rogue. So as a DM, I'm not going to be throwing traps at them. I'm not going to be having lots of locked doors or climb checks. Oh, you're you're short a healer. Okay, then I'm going to give you a wand of cure wounds. Right. Now I don't have to have someone in to fill that gap because we filled it a different way, or we make sure that those gaps don't happen. Certainly, if you're concerned about running that DMPC, there's all those options to sort of get rid of that. You know, maybe if the group, strangely enough, doesn't have a fighter. Um, well, now I'm thinking of a, a gap there. Oh, you know what you could do is give him one of those uh, tokens we talked about. The animal tokens. The wondrous. Uh, oh, the wondrous yeah. figurines. Yeah, yeah, you could give them a figurine or something, or or, or just or, have less combat encounters. You know, or a shield guardian, or shield guardian, or something. something. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, you set me up. <laughs> now, 
<laughs> no, I mean, like the topic is DMPCs. Then you guys instantly go into what I want to talk about and how to avoid an, a DMPC. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I what I would do typically, personally, if there's a gap in the party is like just because there's a gap doesn't mean there needs to be a DMPC. Right. And just not only avoiding certain situations, but like, again, going back to hirelings, companions, those kind of situations have they let there be a hireling? Okay, we don't have a rogue in the party, so the party hired a hireling right off the bat. And even if I'm running him as a, even if I'm running him, he's an NPC, not a PC. Because right. there's a huge difference between an NPC and a PC run by the DM. You know what I mean? Right. Nine times out of ten, in my experience, if there's a PC run by the DM in the party, it's because he wants to play in the party also, right. not because there's a gap that needs to be filled. Right. And in that case, in my opinion, my personal opinion, that's just kind of being greedy. <laughs> well, in my, in my opinion, you know, if if you're running a PC because as a GM, because you want to play, uh, then you should go back. We have some episodes about uh, advice for new GMs and changing things up and talk to your other players and see if maybe somebody else wants to take a turn yeah, GMing exactly. so that I you can that. play. Yeah, if you want to play, play, but don't run and play. But, you know. but don't but also don't think that you can't do the GM PC. You might be able to to handle that uh um you know fairly well. It's just because you put a player character level in there, again, it's probably gonna be more of an NPC than anything. And if you are worried about taking the spotlight, well, take things away from uh, that PC. Like maybe have him be subservient to one of the other characters. So he says, I'm not going to help you guys make this decision. Sort of like the hireling. Um, one example real quick is I had a dwarven healer who um, I later decided that he had a piece of ax in his brain. So only, he could only ever say his name, you know, and he was uh, a, a, a life cleric that, I created to follow the group around because they didn't have a healer. So that way I could throw regular stuff at them and he could heal them. But he, all he could ever say is his name. So he wasn't a stunning conversationalist. So whenever they needed a, whenever they tried to defer to him for a decision, he would just look at them and say his name, sort of an I am Groot situation. Yeah. And that works. Um, I actually had a cohort who specifically couldn't contribute because my PC who had hired him Liked to point out the fact that, no, you're here because we paid you. You don't get an opinion, mm -hmm. uh, which the other players, there were newer players, a little confused by. But it's so that that way I don't feel like we're going to take a vote. And I have two votes yeah. because I have my PC and my cohort. Exactly. Yeah. No, my PC doesn't let my cohort vote mm -hmm. on these decisions. Because the biggest problem I found with DMPCs is literally is the players looking at the DMPC and saying, what do you think we should do? And now as the GM, I have to pretend I don't have GM knowledge through this character, you know, and try to give advice that makes sense for the character, but not give away any part of my plot or maybe give it away in the hopes that they think it's wrong or whatever. Or every know. time they ask the PC, the DM PC, what do you think we should do? We should go to the tavern and get drunk. Exactly. You know. See, what's funny is I was going to I'm kind of on the a little bit, just not not like fully on the other side of that line, but like a little bit like one foot on both sides, because I was going to say the one advantage to having a PC, quote unquote, you know, a DMPC in the group would be you get to have input in the group and you can help yeah. help guide them down the correct path. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I would see, I, I could see, obviously it can definitely be a pain because you're trying not to give things away, but it can also be a boon in the sense that like, you know, you get to help guide, you know, you get to be Jiminy Cricket and help, you know, guide them down the right path and kind of let their, you know, let their conscience be their guide. <laughs> Maybe there is something going on in the forest we should look into. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think the, 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 the bad blood that I see with most DMPCs again is it really just comes down to the spotlight of like, you know, like, Oh, well your, your guy won beat the dragon again. Oh, your guy saved the day again. You know, like just having all those spotlight moments. I've been a PC in a, in a group, not even the DM. And I've had to deal with that because I made, I knew the system and I kind of power gamed a character and I didn't cheat by any way, shape or form. But I, because I had this powerful character, every freaking set. Oh, here comes Varagas again to save the day. Oh, Varagas did it again. Oh, Varagas, Varagas, Varagas. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> no, uh, I would say to any GMs out there who are thinking about doing a GMPC, if you've never done it, but you think it might help out your group, just do it. Try it. Um, you know, use any advice that you got from us to try to help you with that, but try it. See if, and just see what, see what it, the worst, and the worst thing that can happen is no one freaking likes it. And then you just kill them off with the next villain. Yeah, sure. And if you're the type that always has it in there, try running without it. Exactly. Agree. Yeah. Try seeing what you can do. You try try something different. Who knows? You yeah. can have fun. Maybe you have three players and they almost never make a fully fledged group and you're always making that extra player for them to help them out. And then you decide, nope, not going to do that. And they're, and they're, you know, either they might shock them, but now they have to think, okay, how do we go about these things? Yeah, and again, there's ways you can adjust. You can, okay, you're missing a rogue, so we'll put less traps, less locked doors. Or I think we've talked about this before with, you know, with making small groups a long time ago, actually, was like, you know, either make them like so they're gestalted characters Mm -hmm. or have them see if they were all willing to run two characters to fill out the group. Or maybe you have two experienced players, one less experienced player. The two experienced players can both play two characters. Or you can just give them like items. To help with that, like maybe yeah, uh, compensation, magic items. Like you said, Wanda healing. Yeah, exactly. Wanda knock. Yeah. Yeah. Those sorts of things. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do to fill the gaps without playing it yourself. Again, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, it, you give it a shot. It could work for you, like Ed said, but yeah. I just kind of, you know, if, if it was a, a percentage thing, I would definitely say I'm strongly 51% against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, definitely. I have done it and I've done it with some success and I've done it with some failure. So I, I would say I'm, 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 I guess I'm for it, but also sort of on that fence where I'd also say it maybe isn't always the best thing to do. Yeah, so you, you want to be careful with it. There's, there's other, there's always an alternative, whether or not it's a better alternative is you know arguable, but there's always an alternative. Give it a shot. See how it works in your group and, uh, and do what works for you. Do what's fun for you and your players. Agreed. So if you'd like to give us any feedback, have any questions or comments on the topic, definitely feel free to get in touch with us. And if there's anything that you'd like to hear us do a show about anything you'd like to hear us touch on, definitely feel free to let us know. We always welcome ideas for topics. Uh, we are available on Twitter, GMS Studios. We have our message boards, GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. And we are also available on Facebook. Like, comment, subscribe. Let us know if you have any questions, comments, topics you'd like, or anything else you think we might be willing to hear. Even just a cool story from your game. Maybe if something came up that you just want to brag about. We will be back every week with new episodes. And we are headed out now, but we'll see you next time we're in the studio.